We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. Going into the game, and then once we finished the game, we, we beat the Dolphins, and then sitting in that locker room, and then it's third and third and twelve, and they didn't get it. They didn't get close. I was like, it's fourth and twelve. There's no way. I don't know. I was losing faith. But then once uh, Tyler Boyd caught the ball, caught the ball, man, uh, the the locker room exploded. I feel like you know, uh, I couldn't feel, I couldn't feel anything. I, I mean, it was the best thing that I ever been a part of. Uh, and then once we landed in Buffalo, that was an even better thing, just to know, you know, the quality of fans that we have and how they support the team. Just you know, it, it was a big deal for the whole city, and the whole city was upside down the whole night. Welcome everybody to the oh another edition of the Rockfall Report podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. To my right is my producer and fellow season ticket holder Chris Krueger, and that was Tredavious White from NFL Network talking about his experience watching the Cincinnati Baltimore game because we haven't been to the playoffs in 17 years until this year, and the Eagles just won their first ever Super Bowl. Ladies and gentlemen, the Patriots lost. Terrell Owens is a Hall of Famer. I just bought a new Speedo. What do we get? What do we get? For, let, wait, let's, let's talk about that Speedo for a second. Uh, it's a, a snake. Rattlesnake skin oh. Speedo. I'm going to pair it with a cowboy hat. And guess what? When I go, when you, I go to Jamaica in April for the draft... Oh, you better believe the entire island is going to be subjected to me in all my glory. If I were you, I would also try to grow a 1970s Burt Reynolds mustache <laughs> to go with that. That would that fits a rattlesnake speedo and cowboy hat. I could see you doing that, Burt Reynolds. I mean, you're you are going to a wedding, so I think Larissa might have a say in your uh, <laughs> facial arrangement, even though God already beat you to it with your teeth. <laughs> oh, my God. Folks, what a game. Super Bowl 52, Eagles 41, Patriots 33. The final Super Bowl party at my current house was more than a memorable one. I mean, I'll admit, I stayed up all night watching post-game stuff, drinking champagne, and just enjoying what was probably my favorite Super Bowl in a long, long time. Well, I came, I came over on Sunday, and I, I told you and Dan, I was like, I honestly think the last Super Bowl I was excited for was Harbaugh versus Harbaugh. Yep, the Harbaugh Bowl. I, I, last Harbaugh. year, I wasn't excited because I hate both teams. <laughs> I just hate when the Patriots are in it. It just it just brings it down for me. Like, I'm, just, I'm glad that we got a great game out of it. I'll just say that, yeah, after all the controversy and the outrage and the angst that we've had over the Patriots this season, I couldn't have written a better way for the 2017 season to end. I can, First and foremost, congrats to all of the former Bills staff, coaches, personnel who now have a ring. Cornerback Ron Darby, linebacker Nigel Bradham, strong safety Corey Graham, 
former quarterback and now offensive coordinator Frank Reich, left tackle Jason Peters, and defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz. It's always nice to root for guys who wear a different jersey, who haven't disparaged your city, or talked about how they didn't get enough primetime exposure. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right, Gilmore. So well, can, you didn't win the Super Bowl, but you were on uh, primetime. Yeah, you got shown on primetime getting your ass kicked. Congrats to those guys. Out of all of them, I think that Frank Reich benefits the most from this. I mean, there's been a lot of buzz about him. And he carries the title of offensive coordinator. So even though the play calling gets done by Doug Peterson, the fact that Frank Reich has been a quarterback's coach and then an offensive coordinator and was kind of around Carson Wentz during his ascension from rookie that nobody gave a lot of props to to borderline MVP candidate this season. Yeah, that's because people people stuck to what he did at North Dakota State. I I mean, Frank Reich... He's going to get calls next season. He's going to get head coaching calls. He will. And he should. He should. I feel like he should have gotten him earlier than this. But well, fact- he, he had a call, he had a handful of of talks with with uh, certain teams. I think he even might have had a, a chat with us before we hired went with McDermott. But he's definitely mm-hmm. going to get calls, and it's it's all with his preparation that he's done with Peterson, and then who's their uh, quarterbacks coach? The the John. I forget the quarterback coach's name, but he's got a huge role in this too. Naga, 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 that, that's a huge. That's a huge reason for Reich to get to get looks. I mean, you have look at look at Wentz's progression. You have two former backup quarterbacks prepping Wentz for NFL stardom. That is very true, and the backups always prep as if they're going to start. Like if you made it for a long period of time as a backup in the NFL. It's because teams are confident that you are going to be ready at the drop of a hat for whatever might happen, whatever circumstances may change, to come into a game and win them that football game. And on that note, two offensive minds on that side of the ball, this Super Bowl was an offensive display. Super Bowl 52 set a benchmark. The most offensive yards in a single Super Bowl. Neither team seemed to be able to really dial up anything to stop the passing attacks of both of these offenses. I mean, Darby and Gilmore were routinely abused through the air for sizable gains. It was, I'm going to say it here on air, I debated it off air, and I wasn't sure whether I was going to say this or not, but I heard the joke, okay? An off-color joke at best. I don't believe in misogyny, I don't believe in hitting women. But the joke that one of my friends told me during this, uh, as the Super Bowl went on and then as it seemed imminent that New New England was going to lose, was that he comes out of left field with the last time I saw... He was talking about Ron Darby at at cornerback. And he said, the last time I saw someone get beat that badly and still get a ring, it was Tina Turner. You can't say that! You can't say that! It's misogynist. It's it's horrific. And yet, these are the things that people came out with. Right, hashtag me too. (laughs) All the quarterbacks involved with this game were impressive, including the running backs trying to throw passes. Everybody was on point, and the play calling was fantastic from every single offensive coordinator. Passes were being completed to wide-open wide receivers on almost every single drive. I mean, you think about it. There was times in that game where I'd see Brady under pressure. He's dropping back. It looks like the pocket's collapsing on him, and he's getting hit as he throws, and he slings it downfield. And in my head, I go, okay, that has to be picked off because that's an underthrown ball as he's getting hit. And then the camera pans downfield, and the wide receiver catching it had to come back five yards. But there's still nobody around them for 10 yards in any given direction. The offensive coordinators in that Super Bowl did, did work. They showed up. Yeah. How about uh, New England didn't punt and Philadelphia punted once? That's it. That's it. These teams just, they they, (laughs) they just threw the the rock around. Okay. Quarter drives that spanned, you know, 10, 10 minutes. uh, I shouldn't say 10, four, five, six, seven minute drives. Though that, that was the, that, that was the game. That was it. I mean, the Patriots lost because they had, a number of three and outs that just, I don't know, on third down, they just couldn't find a way to get things done. 
I think it. T- I think it took Brady a little bit longer than Foles to get in a rhythm. It did. And then, but I don't even blame Brady because the offense did everything it could. When your offense scores thirty three points in a football game, you assume you're going to win that game. Yeah, it's <laughs> you de- do defensively. I mean, you got your number one cornerback, Stephon Gilmore, just getting oh. beaten like a drum. Now, this is what I'll say. I've said this since the beginning of the season. The Patriots' defense was a bust. Okay? They were the only playoff team. Well, they were the only team to make the playoffs in either conference with a with a defense ranked outside of the top 20. Given how bad they were against the pass and the run simultaneously, you knew it had to keep up with them. It had to catch up with them at some point. I mean, Brady can only pace you for so long. They were the highest scoring offense in football and one of the worst teams defensively. That can't win you a title. You have to be able to play a little bit of defense. The mystery comes in about Malcolm Butler. The Patriots were the only team, right? The only team that I've ever heard of. You take your number one cornerback who's played 90, I thought that was Gilmore. 98% of the snaps for you on defense, and you bench him. Okay, you bench him. I mean, out of all the things that could have gone wrong with the Super Bowl, I didn't think the biggest part of it would be a decision made by the seemingly infallible Bill Belichick. Malcolm Butler, savior of Super Bowl 49, spurned by the Patriots when they tried to trade him earlier in this offseason simply because he wanted a contract extension. Arguably their number one cornerback was benched for the entirety of the game. The storyline just doesn't make any sense to me. Chris. I mean, they benched one of the best defenders on their team. And then here's the damning thing to me. When injuries occurred, they leapfrogged Butler. You know, Patrick Chung, your, your slot corner goes down with an injury. And instead of shifting one of your outside guys inside and putting Butler back on the field, you leapfrog him for what are essentially backups and practice squad level players. It's unfathomable to me that that's allowed to happen. There are conflicting reports about what actually went on here, which is why this story is interesting. I mean, when asked, Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia both stated that it was a game plan issue and that they didn't give him snaps because it's how they crafted their defense for the weekend. The sentiment was backed up by veteran safety Devin McCourty, stating that they knew all week that Butler wasn't going to be part of the game plan. But then... There are statements from Butler's replacement, Eric Rowe, who states that he didn't know that he was going to be starting until shortly after kickoff. And then you've got Malcolm Butler, who clearly didn't know that this was going to happen at all. Do these guys not share the same meeting room? Well, Rap Sheet said, Rap Sheet was, said it was like a perfect storm uh, of he was late for a meeting, he had a bad week in practice, and he had been sick. But, I mean, to me, you know, you look at, like, Vegas lines, Butler not playing, that's not going to shift the line. I don't don't think it, I don't think it, I think people are making it a a bigger deal than it was. That's my, that's my opinion. Here's what I know. It was to the Eagles' advantage because none of the defensive backs in the Patriots could stop the Philadelphia passing attack. They did whatever the hell they wanted. And ultimately, they made enough plays through the air for their quarterback to win Super Bowl MVP. Now, I don't know if it's the contract situation, whether Butler was actually sick, whether it was something he did during the week that drew the ire of Bill Belichick, who we know is a petty motherfucker. Jonas Gray can attest to that. He ruined his career. But this move will not be overshadowed. At the end of the day, it looks like a case of Bill Belichick outsmarting himself. I mean, it's absurd. To try and defend not playing your your go-to starters in must-win situations, it's flat out a joke. When you gamble and win, everybody calls you a genius. But when you gamble and blow it, you deserve every ounce of criticism that comes your way. And then, oh, this comes from a very, a very special place in my heart. Go fuck yourself, Tom Brady. The crown jewel of the entire evening was a disappointed Tom Brady. For those of you who didn't get to see our Periscope, Chris and I popped, my fiance and I received a bottle of champagne for our an engagement present from her uncle. 
a very, very expensive bottle of Prosecco. We didn't drink it because I'm a beer drinker. I'm a liquor drinker. So is Larissa. We don't really have a taste for wine or champagne. The morning of the Super Bowl, I put that in the fridge, and she and I both agreed that if the Patriots somehow lost, that was an occasion worth popping a bottle over. Did we, Chris, or did we not? Oh, champs it up. I can't I can't believe that the Eagles won. That <laughs> one of the biggest one of the biggest nobody gave them a shot to win at all. And the for me, the best part, Tom Brady being a complete dick and not uh congratulating Foles after the game, being a sore fucking loser. Oh, Tom Brady. Guys, you want to see the video of us popping bottles, go to at Rock Pile Report on Twitter. Here's a prestigious award for Tom Brady that he can stick in his trophy case. Tom, you're the first quarterback to throw for more than 500 yards, multiple touchdowns, and no picks, and still be left staring at your shoes while somebody else hoists the Lombardi trophy. (laughs) Also, as a side note, learn how to catch the goddamn ball. But guys, don't just take it from me. You want to talk to somebody who's really excited about this? I have on with us right now, Mr. Michael Kist, okay, host of the Lockdown Eagles podcast, also does work for Inside the Pylon, and he's a vet of the Scouting Academy. Michael, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. The Eagles are heavyweight champions of the world. No one can take it from us. Look, man, anytime you can beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, I didn't want it to be the Jaguars. I wanted it to be the Patriots. I wanted to see the passing of a torch. And the start of a new dynasty. That's what we just witnessed. Oh, my God. That was one of my... So, I've got a list of questions. I mean, I guess the first one I'm going to start with. Was it more meaningful for you as an Eagles fan that the win came over the Patriots instead of the Jaguars? Look, beating Blake Bortles doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Granted, it's a Super Bowl. I, You know, there would have been people backflipping off Ritz Carlton awnings either way. <laughs> uh, but... At the end of the day, you you want to be the best. I wanted it to be Belichick. Belichick is, for my money, you know, the greatest football mind that I've seen in my lifetime. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback that I've experienced in my lifetime. And to be able to take them down like that with a backup quarterback that played absolutely out of his mind, it's it, it's spectacular. Nobody can can look at that Super Bowl and say, oh, well, you only beat Blake Bortles because Bortles had a bad game or whatever the case was going to be with that. Mm-hmm. We beat Tom Brady. We beat Bill Belichick. I mean, that's that's they're the best to ever do it. They are yep. hands down the best to ever do it. And I think that's where a lot of my just hatred for them comes from is that you did it usually by stepping over us. You did it by yeah. just stepping on us. Oh, it was awful. So with Foles. Okay, you mentioned the fact that you did it with a backup quarterback, but I'd almost go out on a limb and say that Foles isn't your typical backup quarterback. Foles to me is a guy who's had opportunities in this league. Twenty-seven he's, and two. He's played. <laughs> he's played well enough in stretches that he's been considered, uh, you know, a bridge starter. He's been considered. Hey, the Rams thought he was good enough to give a you know a short bridge contract too to say hey. Here's a trial run to see if you can be our guy. Yeah. He played well enough with for the Eagles before under Chip Kelly. I mean, he did some great things. So to see this type of a performance, I guess I got to ask, what are your personal thoughts on it? I mean, just from the fact that it's almost like the prodigal son returns to lead you guys back to a Super Bowl. You know, it's wild because after, you know, he had a good game against the Giants to start out. And we were like, well, it's a Giants defense. Giants defense was awful. Mm -hmm. So no big deal. And then he has those two games where we run a real vanilla offense and it bogs down against the Raiders. It bogs down against the early portions of the Cowboys game when he was in Uh, the Atlanta game. I thought he played really well that game, too. Just some of the execution from the other players wasn't there. Uh, However, man, let me tell you, per pro football focus. Nick Foles led all playoff quarterbacks in the following categories. NFL quarterback rating, PFF quarterback rating, completion percentage, adjusted completion percentage. On deep passing, he led in yards, touchdowns, and accuracy percentage. First pressure, he led in quarterback rating, touchdowns, and completion percentage. The deep passing and the first pressure part, 
that's not normal Nick Foles. Under pressure, he's historically pretty bad. And throwing the ball deep down the field, he's historically pretty inaccurate. I don't know what got into Nick Foles. And coming into it, he had a real emotional week. He was talking about, you know, his little baby daughter getting him seen. He could point back and to this point in time and say, you know, your dad did this. And he just seemed like he had his life priorities really well straightened out, understood what his role was within the team on the same page with Doug Peterson, who crafted his offense, recrafted his offense late in the year around him to include some of those Chip Kelly concepts to make things a little bit easier for him. But even with the easy stuff, I mean, on the hard stuff, on the, the wheel route to Clement, the, the tosses to Jeffrey, pinpoint accuracy for the majority of the game. I, it's it's going to be one of the most mysterious things I think we'll ever experience as Eagles fans because who knows where we, where we go from here. I don't think that's sustainable for him at all. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how, like, how much of the offense did they actually change to go from Wentz to Foles? Yeah, I mean, they ran less RPOs in the Super Bowl despite what – Chris Collinsworth will tell you. Chris Collinsworth uh, doesn't know anything. I mean, that guy <laughs> watching. Can, can we just go out on a limb here and say that it should be an arrestable offense to put Chris Collinsworth behind the microphone for a game of this magnitude? He's awful. He's a bum. He's yeah. <laughs> he's an embarrassment to broad. He's like Dennis Miller on Monday Night Football. That's how bad he is in my mind. Now, what he does is he takes three points and he brings them into the game. And no matter what happens in the game, he's going to drill those three points. One of the points was RPOs. We ran, well, I don't know, not maybe a handful of RPOs all game. Sometimes play action is just play action because you can see the offensive lineman dropping. But we did run less RPOs uh, with Foles this game. There was some play action. Uh, honestly, he opened the playbook up more for Foles. It blossomed as the playoffs went on, which is, which is something that I did not expect to see whatsoever, the trust that he had in his quarterback. And there's a story about when Peterson was back as a high school coach, and he put the trust in his senior quarterback to make adjustments, to take shots if he saw certain things. Doug Peterson, man, I don't know if you saw the, the audio, the soundbite uh, deal where he's mic'd up, and on that fourth down, the fourth and goal, Foles comes over and he goes, you want to go Philly, Philly? And like Doug Peterson has a beat where he looks Foles in the eyes. He's like, yeah, let's do it. And it's like <laughs> supreme confidence in his quarterback. Your quarterback, your backup quarterback is calling a trick play in the Super Bowl, which is a pass to himself. And you're like, you're crazy. I love it. Let's do it. I love it. Let's, you know what I thought of in that moment was in the movie Ghostbusters when Bill Murray looks around and he looks at Egon Spangler and he looks at Winston and all the other guys and he goes – you know, what are we going to do? And Egon looks at him and goes, we could cross the streams. He says, wait a minute. You told me this is bad. A lot of people are going to die if you're wrong. <laughs> the, uh, the nice lady who paid us in advance before she got turned into a dog. And then there's just a beat. And he looks yeah. at him and goes, I love it. I love this yeah. plan. Let's go out here and do it. That yeah. was Doug Peterson in that moment. That's all I could think of was that was your moment where things were either going to go catastrophically wrong and make you look like a boob on a national stage or you are going to – honestly, they, he would need a wheelbarrow to cart his balls around. I said that. He <laughs> needs a wheelbarrow to carry his balls. Yeah, like Randy Marsh. And that play yeah. to happen. I mean, it was – and then the only thing I could think is Tom Brady. <laughs> Tom Brady. Maybe you need to take some catching lessons from Nick Foles because he didn't let that one get away from him. Yeah. Tom Brady dropping that thing was beautiful. Oh, and, and to go oh, back to Doug real quick because he's uh, crazy – the confidence, the, the calm, the never too high, never too low, permeated throughout this team. Hit after hit after hit that this team took. Left tackle, you know, middle linebacker, running back, all go down. Your quarterback goes down, and he's always, you know, no one believes in us right now. No one believes in us right now, but I believe in you. We're going to get the next man up, and we're going to get it done. It, the, the, it never changed from him. He never wavered. And that, that cool, that calm demeanor had them ready to go for the Super Bowl. The, the stage was not too big for them, and, they man, did they perform. You know, I showed it to Drew uh, right after he got here because uh, I'd heard about it today that back in September, Michael Lombardi <laughs> and what his comments to Doug Peterson back in <laughs> he has to be eating so oh. much crow. I'm, I'm, I'm talking a dump, uh, a dump truck full of crow. Yeah. I don't know if there's enough Frank's Red Hot to cover up all of, like <laughs> to make all of that crow edible. You go out and say that he's the least qualified head coach in the NFL, 
And then he overcomes all of the injury adversity, losing a quarterback who was in the running for MVP. Yeah. And comes home with a title. And uh, then you have Scott Caxmar from Football Outsiders, who a known Wentz hater, uh, when Peterson was hired, we've got the receipts of him saying, uh, the only thing I can say, I say about the Peterson hire is who's going to be coaching the Eagles in 2017. <laughs> Wrong again, Scott. That's it. Wrong I, again. <laughs> I feel like people – and let me ask you, though. I feel like Philadelphia gets a bad rap. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm one of those people who I give Philly a hard time as a city. The, the reputation as a city is less than Sterling. I mean, hmm. <laughs> have you ever heard Bill Burr do his yeah, 11 minutes of stand-up yeah. about him? So that's my point. Like, there's a stigma that comes with Philly. That being said, the, the city's reaction to the Super Bowl, I mean, things got nuts. They did. Yeah. Ultimately, I, I, so, mean, I, I just want to ask you about that. Now, as a fan of the team... As you know, this is a this is putting the city on the map. I feel like for a lot of the wrong reasons. I mean, what do you think about that personally? Just in just in your opinion, just in your opinion. Honestly, the the national narrative around this city is never going to change. From throwing snowballs at Santa, that whole old thing, all that stuff. That's fine. The 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 catchphrase or the phrase around here is "No one likes us. We don't care. We really don't <laughs> care how the media views us." If some if some you know, Jagoff wants to eat horse poop. Well, that's not me. That's on him. That's his <laughs> personal responsibility. That's his personal choice. So go ahead and do that. Go I, brush I, your teeth, bro. Hit the scope. <laughs> we're, we're passionate people. That's, that's all I can say. And what you saw was just a giant exhale after 58 years of waiting. And, and you know, you would see the same thing from the, from the crazy Bills fans. Well, that, no. That, and that, that, crazy well, and that was it. I was talking to a friend of mine on Facebook about it because he made this post about – the, some of the activity that was going on, and he just made a comment about, oh, well, you know, the, you know, oh, other cities have more class. And I said, well, I don't know about that. I go, if the Bills were to win a Super Bowl, I don't know that we'd be – I'm like, honestly, I think we'd all be just too drunk to flip over cars. I think what you'd yeah. see is a lot of public intoxication, a lot of chanting of the shout song. Tables. But, um, fast food burrito sales would go through the roof. Okay, the sale of fast food burritos would skyrocket. Mighty taco for those two three days. Yeah. Well, everyone worked. So you're off saying the it's not a black tie affair, is what you're no, trying to say? No, it is not a black tie affair at all. So anybody out there who wants to point fingers, look at where you're from. <laughs> look at where, us here in Buffalo. I, I'd like to think that we wouldn't uh, wouldn't be quite as uh, quite as disruptive, but at the same time, I can't say that. I can't yeah. say that with any. Uh, so, so uh, obviously, Deadspin has moved on, and now they're featuring you guys instead of Buffalo for once. So thank you guys for taking <laughs> that on. You've kind of taken over the mantle for the moment. You're welcome. Your personal reaction. I want to know, you to a man watching that Super Bowl, what happened when you saw the fumble? What happened mm. when you saw the Because we all kind of saw the way the game was flowing. Neither defense was making plays. Each team was a sieve in and of themselves. I mean, former Bill Ron Darby, he was getting beaten like a drum, left and right. It, 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 was, it was brutal. There was times he was looking around, like, confused. And it's like, yeah, you see that guy 20 yards downfield from you? That's your guy. Cover him. So to know that your team made the one play on defense, because you knew just by the flow of the game that that's what it was going to come to. They made that one play. What was your reaction in that moment? So I was watching at the bar with some friends, and as me and my – I have, a, I have uh, two sons. Uh, one is five months old who doesn't know what is happening right now, but the <laughs> other one is 13 years old, and we watch all the games together either uh, in person together or we watch it on Google Hangouts together. So at the end of the awesome. game, yeah, I, I pull them up on Google Hangouts so we can see each other react. So when Graham made that play, and this is something that Mark Schofield had talked about on Lockdown Eagles with us, he goes, I'm really concerned when Graham kicks inside against those guards. And he kicked inside, he beat Shaq Mason, and he got the only sack of the game and the fumble. When the fumble happened and Derek Barnett recovered, I mean, I, I was fairly composed because I was looking at the screen and I could see my son get emotional, like turn Aww. red, and the tears start to well up because he realized 
this is like the moment. This is the defining moment of this game. And I'm like, you got to calm down, but we got two minutes to go. We got two minutes to go. We got to finish this thing out. I need you to keep it together because otherwise I'm going to start losing it. And it was a really emotional point in the game, man. Like, that's it's it, it was unbelievable. You know, we've seen this movie before with Brady over and That's over and it. over again. You've seen it. You've and, watched him come back from just what seems like un, just against all odds. Tom Brady yeah. somehow perseveres. And yet you guys made him look human there. Like you guys finally found a way to ma- you guys showed it. I mean, no, but there's no team in football that you want down eight points with the ball in their hands and a minute to go than the New England Patriots. Right. And yet you guys found a way to – you slayed the dragon. You did. Yeah, and what a great story for Brandon Graham too because by all accounts, he's a wonderful human being, been through a lot in his career, uh, took took a nice uh, restructuring this year with us to uh, incentivize his contract, not necessarily have more hit against the cap, but – you know, he bet on himself and he got some nice little bonuses out of it. And man, just the, the energy that it took from him. I mean, he was wearing up, uh, getting air and all that stuff after he could barely talk after the game because he was so gassed. But just to muster up everything that you have for one last pass rush and to get home and to get that fumble. And then the Hail Mary. <laughs> the and Hail you Mary. see Gronk and you go, not like this. Man. Exactly. And your head goes, You're like, for the like love this. of God, don't let it go down like this. <laughs> Now, see, now, as, as a guy who's a fan of a team that has, I mean, now the, the, the thing that NFL, uh, NFL.com put out today, they put out a tweet. Now there's, and then there were 12. Now there's only 12 teams that have not won a Super Bowl. You guys are no longer in that category. Do you feel like there's a little bit of relief in the city of Philadelphia knowing that you got that gorilla off your back for as long as you guys have been around and as many as many great teams as you fielded and as many great players as you've had on your teams, does it feel good to get, I mean, the bills exercise some demons this season. And I can tell you that just making the playoffs for us after those 17 years, everything feels different. Mm. How does it feel as a Patriots fan? Two days later, Eagles fan. Well, Jesus Christ, (laughs) Eagles fan. Looking back a couple days later and just thinking about, Hey, we won one. We've got a Lombardi trophy in our trophy case. Does it's, it, it's, what does it it's do? absolutely surreal. Like, I, I remember the next morning when I woke up, the first thing that ran through my head was, we won a Super Bowl. We won a Super <laughs> And I just over and over and over again. And in 58 years, man, long suffering, going through the Andy Reid years after disappointment after disappointment in the conference championship. And then the way the Super Bowl went down with that last five minutes was extremely soul crushing. And then Chip Kelly comes in and you get some hope. And it's like, I never like it got to the point where I was like, I just I last year, like I never got too up or down as a fan because I just didn't. I, this is my life <laughs> as an Eagles fan. You know what I mean? Like, that's just what it is. Uh, this year was an entirely different feeling with, with Doug Peterson. After a certain point, you're like, I, it doesn't make any sense. I don't get it as it because, you know, I'm big into football X's and O's and study these guys. And, and none of it, none of it made any sense, but it felt right. It felt like the year. And yeah, just a absolutely surreal feeling and getting the monkey off the back that I mean, we even put a new shirt design up on Locked on Eagles on the T public store. Uh, it's how many rings? So <laughs> just just to be able to, to stop those memes is a major freaking part of it for sure. That is fantastic. <laughs> well, listen, tell the people where they can follow you on Twitter. I know you have a ton of draft stuff coming out. Guys, any, any of our listeners out there who really care about the draft, I mean, he went to Mobile, Alabama, got to hang out at the Senior Bowl. He's he, the Scouting Academy inside the pylon. This is what these guys do. They, they love this stuff. So if you're looking for draft content, you're looking for anything else, where can the people find your work? At Michael Kist NFL, that's K-I-S-T, uh, at, in, uh, at IT Pylon, also inside the pylon.com. And right now I'm working on a couple of things, so I should have an announcement very, very soon. I'm actually waiting on a call. So we'll see where some of the new draft coverage for me is coming from. <laughs> uh, but my partner over at Locked on Eagles, uh, he also contributes to NDTScouting.com. and does a great job there with their daily draft content. So check that stuff up, uh, out as well at Benjamin Solak, S-O-L-A-K. Chris, I don't know what more we can say about it. Congratulations to the Eagles. Let's move right into this week's Bills News Update. Buffalo is top of the mountain, ladies and gentlemen. We have set a benchmark. 
According to the Nielsen ratings, Buffalo was the highest Super Bowl-watching city in the country when compared to population size. How do we how do we win that over Philadelphia and Boston? Well, because I'll tell you, Philadelphia think, is a city full of spiteful people who hate everything. Um, Rocky Balboa is their uh, their sports hero of choice, who has a statue in their city, even though he's not a real person. And uh, and New England is New England. I mean, they're more. Uh, I don't know. They're catching lobster. They don't, they don't need to watch because they think that they. Well, we're going to oh, win. Yeah. They're we're going to win. They're why quote do I, unquote why do fantastic I need to, fan base. Yeah, why do I need to, to watch the Super Bowl? Bunch of dickheads. But then again, why is anyone surprised by this? There are a lot of people here in Buffalo who, like my friend James Potter, look at the time we've spent with Tom Brady being in our division, and they say, hey, we should be consider ourselves lucky that we've gotten to see greatness play so many times in front of us. And then at the same time, there's guys like me who say, I hate this team so much that I will watch this football game even though every fiber of my being detests the idea of them winning. I have to watch on the off chance they might lose. Because that is... I was like Scrooge McDuck, folks. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I watched the Super Bowl. I, I reveled in it. I stayed up all night and watched all of the post-game stuff while I was cleaning up after my Super Bowl party. And then the next day, I, reco- I had the Super Bowl recorded so I could watch it again. Just so I could relive what it is to watch Tom Brady get punked on a national stage. It was delicious. I mean, I, just picture Scrooge McDuck just doing the backstroke through, all, through his vault of gold coins. That was me with the Super Bowl. It's incredible. It's delicious. I love every second of it. Oh, my God. Even now, just talking about it, I'm pitching a half stack. <laughs> I don't know. You hate the Patriots more than I do. I mean, my number one's the Dolphins. We all, Everybody knows that. But, I mean, I love to watch Tom Brady lose. And he'd be three and five in Super Bowls if it weren't for two plays. <laughs> so, speaking of the Patriots, we've got more news. An article surfaced earlier this week that reported Brian Dable turned down an offer to be the Colts' offensive coordinator. Now that, to me, seems like lunacy. Why would you turn down an opportunity to work with a quarterback like Andrew Luck? That's a generational talent at quarterback. Exactly. But how bad is his shoulder? Well, there's some, there, there are some questions. But, but really, it's Andrew fucking Luck. Who doesn't want to work with that quarterback? I don't even know football. I don't want to work with him. So maybe now, now tonight, news breaks moments after we get done talking to Michael Kist that, guess what? Yeah, I got a message from Jason Hicksonbaugh. Jason Hicksonbaugh, devoted listener to this show, messages us to tell us that Josh McDaniels has turned down the head coaching job for the Colts. Oh, I don't get like my first thing. Every coordinator out there aspires to be a head coach. That's why you're doing what you're doing, because you want to be in charge. The fact that McDaniels essentially, and I'm not going to lie, this this has a lot of different facets to it. First and foremost, McDaniels has burned bridges here with this move. You basically led a franchise to believe that you would be their next head coach. And then at the last minute, pulled the rug out from underneath them and said, you know what? I'm going to stay where I am as a coordinator. That every GM who sees you now in the future will look at you as if you're radioactive. My, my two things would be something's up with Belichick or he learned some things about the inner workings of the Colts franchise when it comes to Jim Ursay, because we know that that in that guy's brain, the elevator don't go to every floor. <laughs> yeah, Jim Ursay's not the uh, he's not the brightest light bulb in the box. He's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Now, here's what I think. I mean, maybe the Butler decision plays into this. I mean, you all heard the reports about a rift in the organization ahead of the, and everyone patted each other on the back and said, "Ah, oh, no, we're all friends, we're all buddies." And then Bill Belichick benches your starting cornerback 
and you lose a Super Bowl where your defense hemorrhaged more yards than they've ever done before. The most yards given up by a losing team in Super Bowl history. And you benched your number one cornerback on principle, which is what we all have to assume. Or maybe maybe it's just father time knocking on doors that were long overdue. Either way, something is happening in New England, and that's just disrupted everything going on in the NFL. I mean, if you're McDaniels, you don't stay in New England unless you think, unless you firmly believe that you will be the head coach at some point. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. You don't turn down a head coaching job to stay offensive coordinator. Yeah, but I don't don't foresee Belichick going, I'm going to do this next year's my last year. No, I, I, I just I, I, I assume it to come out of the blue. This move, if anything else, makes me feel like this rift between ownership, quarterback, and coach is real. Is, is real, and this Butler decision might be one of the things that just pushed it, maybe brought it to a head. It's going to be real interesting to see what goes on in New England, folks. So keep your eyes peeled. Now, in a bit of good news, Terrell what you, Owens. Wait, what are you talking about? That is good news. <laughs> that is good news. That there's a rift with the Patriots? That's good news. Terrell Owens made the Hall of Fame, baby. He's in. It's about time. Call to the Hall, son. It is about time. It finally happened. Owens is going to get his gold jacket. This is one of the most egregious snubs that I've seen in years. Anybody who watched Terrell Owens play knows that that guy was a prolific talent. A game-changing talent. I mean, literally, a f- look at the franchises that he impacted. San Francisco, the Cowboys, the Eagles. When he was in his prime, he He was the best. He was the best. He was the best. He was the number one threat and even being double-triple covered sometimes. He was Megatron before Megatron was Megatron. He was the scariest guy. He was a great white shark out there on the field in offense. Defenses could only hope to contain him. They know they they knew they couldn't stop him. It's a, it's absurd that the football writers held him out because of how he treated the media. That's not that's not how you get into the hall. Well, that's it's, it. all, it's it's all production. What you do on the field. I mean, Chris, if we're gonna talk about this attitude, out of everything T.O. has done during his career, attitude. If that's how can production be outweighed by attitude? If that was the case. And my in my behind closed doors personality and actions were held against my professional achievements. I would both be jobless and homeless at this point. <laughs> Nobody yeah. would touch me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, wait, why don't why didn't you uh, vote for uh, T.O. because he was doing sit ups in the driveway? I mean, that doesn't have anything to do with what he did on the field. Should only be what he did on the field, and he was top five, I think, career. For receivers in any category. I mean, Catches, reception yards, touchdowns. It's egregious that he got held out this long. And I remember listening to uh, John Clayton on the WGR 550 just this past week saying that not only was he going to vote for T.O., but that he had since the beginning and he would continue to do so and would encourage his fellow writers to do so because this is a guy who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. You look at what he's accomplished. This is a guy who, when you have questions about his attitude, you know, oh, he was he was shitty to the media, and there's rumors of him being a locker room cancer. I care less about that, and I care more about the fact that he played on a broken ankle that could have threatened the rest of his career had things gone wrong. In the Super Bowl where his team needed him, he balled out. He gave them everything he could, and they, in a losing effort, and to the final whistle, still didn't stop trying to play. To me, that's the mark of a Hall of Famer, because it's not what you... To me, it's not even so much what did you put on the stat sheet. How many rings did you win? It's what was your impact on the game. Will people remember your name for years to come? Terrell Owens checked all those boxes. And then then there was this. The fact that he owns, I mean, he joins the ranks of former Bills. He was a Bills player for one season. He said afterwards that Chan Gailey approached him and said the only reason he didn't stick around was because they wanted to get younger at the position, which turned out to be folly because they replaced him with Donald Jones, uh, what, David Nelson, uh, Stevie Johnson. Mm-hmm. Those guys couldn't yep. hold T.O.'s jockstrap. 
He will get to join the ranks of Jim Kelly, Andre Reid, Thurman Thomas, Bruce Smith, and Joe DeLamalure as former Bills. Guys who put on our jersey and now get to put on a gold jacket. And then there's this. He holds the title right here. Greg Jackson alone in the backfield. T.O. right here. This might be a good time to take a shot up the field. Short drop, and that's where they're going to try to go. T.O. has a step towards, and he's going to score 98 yards. Bill McAtee, Steve Berline, CBS Sports. I was watching that game, Hudson Grill in Atlanta, and I, re- I, I remember this perfectly. I was watching the game with, at my, with my table, and we're at the two-yard line, and uh, Rachel goes, if we throw a bomb and score, I will take a dump on the floor. And, of course, she didn't follow through on it. Because <laughs> she's a lady. Yes. I mean, apparently... That See, would, apparently that would, hyperbole yeah. only means something to me. Yeah. <laughs> apparently that means... You lose your class if you're a lady and you take a dump Chris, on a floor at a bar. I remember that play. I ran I, up and down the bar high-fiving every table. Oh, I, I didn't high-five. I, I put on an actual were, Bill's helmet and uh, it was, it was there wasn't two, it was 2009, so it was before uh, we beat the Patriots because I used, to, I used to put on a full Bill's helmet, stand on a high-top table, and swing somebody's crutch around that tore their – somebody at the bar tore their ACL during the Patriots win in uh, 11 – so I was like high fiving everybody. I was like, that was the greatest. That probably still is the greatest moment of my life. No. I mean, I can no longer say my my wedding was <laughs> was the greatest moment of my life. I'll go, I'll go back to to ninety eight yards at Jacksonville. I would like to think that everyone remembers where they were when that play happened. I mean, I was at the bar and there was a, a lone dude, lone dude. He was with people, but he lone dude with a Jacksonville Jaguars jersey on who was just talking a lot of shit. And then when that play happened, I remember just karate, karate kid style, just kicking the beer out of his hand and then apologizing and hugging him and buying him a new beer. Because I just, A, I couldn't believe I got my leg up that high. B, I couldn't believe that I just witnessed the longest touchdown in franchise history thrown by Ryan Fitzpatrick to Terrell Owens. The most unlikely combination of names you will ever hear. Yep. And then we went on to lose that game. <laughs> Oh, in typical Bills fashion. But since we're talking about quarterbacks, I mean, congratulations to UTO. It's going to be great to watch your induction. I will. I mean, you always have the key to, key to the city of Buffalo. Well, I know it was a ridiculous PR stunt, but it means something to me. Now, speaking of ridiculous things, Tyrod announces that he will not take a pay cut to stay in Buffalo. Okay, see you later. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, see you later, Tyrod. Oh, don't threaten me with a good time, you carpetbagger. <laughs> go go home. All right, get the hell out of here. Go oh, to the Jesus. Go to the Jets. Go to the Jets. Go anywhere. Just get the get the fuck out of here. I'm sorry, folks. Tyrod Taylor publicly announces that he won't take a a pay cut to stay here in Buffalo. Even though Buffalo, being here in Buffalo is where he, I don't know, arguably could still have a chance depending on how offseason trades, the draft, based on how everything falls, he could still be a starter next year. He says he still wants his $18 million. Is there another franchise out there willing to pay Tyrod Taylor $18 million for what they've seen from him? I know what everyone is going to say. Oh, he led a team to the playoffs. He did this. He did that. The team won in spite of Tyrod Taylor more often than not. Yeah. Point, point out a game to me this year where you can go, Tyrod won us that game. I'll wait. I can't do that in good I can't do it in good faith. I can't. It's 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 egregious to me that he and his agent felt it necessary to go out there and posture like this. Oh, wow. We, he wants what he's owed. You know what you're owed? is a swift kick in the ass. There you go. Out the door. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. I've seen enough. I, I, I've seen a quarterback who 
teases you with ability and then generally just brings you mediocrity. And sometimes less than that. Like the games this season where he threw less than 100 yards more than once. Oh, my God. Coming off a season where you don't throw 100 yards in more than one game, you shouldn't be allowed to be a starter in the NFL. What do you have, 19 total touchdowns? Total, total touchdowns. And somewhere along the line, somebody is going to give him a contract. They will. I don't it's think just, I don't think he'll be a starter. I think he'll be I think he'll be he'll be vying for a backup spot next year in the NFL. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Chris, because we have a brand new segment coming up. There are a lot of terrible narratives that start to I don't know gain steam. Fans start talking about it. Local media starts talking about it, and it seems to take over a franchise. Me personally, I can't stand it. So. We've developed a new segment here. We're going to air it all summer long. And it's going to be somewhat somber in nature. We are going to intro the death of a terrible narrative. And this week, it's that the Bills should trade for Alex Smith. Friends, we are gathered here today to pay our respects as another terrible fan immediate driven Buffalo Bills off-season narrative takes a dirt nap. This time, it's the idea that the Buffalo Bills should give up some sort of trade capital to obtain quarterback Alex Smith. The trade is one of the most nonsensical things that I've ever seen. And his extension, I mean, it reminds me of the type of decision making you see from an episode of The Three Stooges. Now, I know that that seems harsh. After looking like a bust, Smith finished each of the last four seasons under Andy Reid with some favorable statistics. And he's been in the playoffs multiple times during that span. But to quote Mark Twain, there are lies, there are damn lies, and then there are statistics. (laughs) Folks, here are some realities about Alex Smith. First and foremost, his production is scheme-based. I mean, you want to talk about realities of a quarterback. You know, you look at what Alex Smith has done well. He's made the playoffs. He's spearheaded some very successful football teams. Let's also note that they all had very strong rushing attacks. Their defenses were all in the top 10 of the NFL. And then there's some statistics here that are just just damn it. For everyone who wants to point to all of his favorable statistics, I've got some for you. 2016, 2015, and 2014. Alex Smith is number one among starters in percentage of yards after the catch, constituting his total yardage. 56% of his total yards came after the catch. Same time span. Here are the starting quarterbacks who threw fewer air yards per attempt than Alex Smith. In 2014, the only two to do it were rookies Blake Bortles and Derek Carr. In 2015, it was Flacco, Bridgewater, and Rivers. All on the losing football teams. Well, actually, I think Bridgewater made the playoffs that year. 2016, Blake Bortles and rookie Carson Wentz. That's it. 2017 was the first time that Alex Smith finished higher than 20th in the NFL in passing yards per game. 2017 was also the first time since 2013 Alex Smith finished higher than 15th in the NFL in touchdown passes. Literally, Tyrod Taylor beat him twice during that span. Twice! Think about what that means as a franchise quarterback. Then there's the cost. Okay? In the moments following the trade, I said, people were tweeting at us saying, oh, what do you think about this? Oh, that was a guy that we might have wanted. Oh. Well, the, well, the trade doesn't happen until March 14th when the new league year begins. And he got a, he got a ridiculous, ridiculous extension. Well, here's it. There's, first and foremost, there's the cost. In the moments after the trade was announced, I looked at it and said that a trade for... The trade on Washington's part made sense at first glance before you really knew any of the any of the gory details. It gives Washington a veteran starter for one year at a reasonable price tag of $20 million. And given their draft position, that 
13th should allow them to do what Kansas City did. You draft a developmental quarterback to groom for at least a year to groom behind him as a starter. At its face, that seemed like a valid trade. And then, in an act of sheer fucking lunacy, they gave Smith an extension. And not just a bridge deal. A contract that actually gave him a raise from $20 million to $23 million a year. $71 million guaranteed and puts the team on the hook for him at a high dead cap number until at least 2020. Is that what you wanted, Bills fans? Everyone on Twitter and on social media and different Facebook groups talking about, yo, Smith is worth giving up draft capital for. Would you have actually been satisfied with with the franchise if we had made this move? I'd be okay with it if it was a later, like, I would not give a first, a second, or maybe even a third for Alex Smith, and I certainly wouldn't have given him that contract extension. Fuck no! I mean, the Browns, the Browns, in a move that tipped their hand to the fact that they are absolutely drafting a quarterback in the first round. The Browns reportedly wanted to trade for Alex Smith, but balked at his agent's extension demands. He was not going to waive his no-trade clause unless he knew he could get a sizable extension. Think about that. The Browns, better known as the mistake on the lake, the factory of sadness, a franchise that is literally one win in its last two seasons thought that it was a bad idea to do something and the Redskins the Redskins not only agreed to it but gave up one of the most effective slot corners in the NFL to do so what <laughs> what an idiot oh what a loser well, you have John Dorsey in Cleveland now. He used to be in Kansas City. So you might have thought, hey, <laughs> maybe I could get Alex here. Oh, he wants a contract extension? No, nah, thanks. Yeah, I'm, good. Nah, I'm I saw, good. I saw what he brought to the table. I'm, I'm not good. <laughs> sending that guy for the next four years. Bills fans, I understand that the fan base is very much divided on a lot of topics, a lot of players, but this idea was one of sheer lunacy. And I'm glad that we can finally throw some dirt on top of it and all get on with our lives. Don't worry, we've got much more coming for you down the pipeline. I mean, there's alternatives out there. And we're going to talk about all of them. The Minnesota cast-off quarterbacks. Somebody's going to stay in Minnesota and somebody's going to leave. There's the trade for Nick Foles, although with his Super Bowl MVP status, the value just shot through the roof. And now it's going to be. It's a comparable that- to Flacco because Flacco's in a contract here and just got this astronomical contract. <laughs> so now that Foles has the Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl victory, Philadelphia's going to be like, we want a first. Yeah, it's. The, yeah, you the, can the, fuck off. The asking off. price for that skyrockets. All, uh, all I can say is this at the quarterback position, for all of you worried about it, all options revolve around the idea that we'll be drafting a quarterback in the first round. I mean, that seems like a given, and it seems more and more likely as time goes on. The way the market's playing out, the way things are happening, it's much more cost-effective to draft. Fuck, you could draft two rookie quarterbacks this year. This is this is look, Bills fans. You need to take a look at it like this. Look at Seattle. They hit on Russell Wilson in the third. They didn't have a large cap hit with him. They were able to pay other people until they had to pay Russell, and they got a Super Bowl out of the deal. Give me a Super Bowl, please. The fact is, this is the this is the economics of the new NFL. And, unfortunately, Alex Smith signed to that kind of a contract is absurd. Anybody out there who says they would take him on that, you're high. I, I want to know what brand of glue you're huffing so that I can not get some, but I can... I don't know. Just <laughs> yeah, you got look. You got Dak Prescott in Dallas, and you got Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. Assuming he's going to return full health with that ACL injury, I see those two dominating that division for the next ten years. You got to get a young quarterback. This not, is what not, it's about. Not an old piece of trash like Alex Smith who <laughs> loses his steam so when the all of you changes. out there who are rooting for that. I'm glad it's dead. And I'm glad that you don't have anything left to talk about. 
You got anything to say? Tweet at us at Report or email us rockpowerreport 716 at gmail.com. Go ahead and follow Michael Michael Kist. He's a member of the Grandstand Sports Network. I mean, we try to bring you guys the best view in sports. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but I think it's at Michael Kist, NFL, K-I-S-T on damn Twitter. Sh- damn straight. Guys, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Well, hold up. Hold up. If you're reading, if you're getting this in your whatever podcatching app you get, you're seeing Rock Power Report episode 99. Next oh, week, next week is next 100. week is our 100th episode. Folks, make sure you tune in for our 100th episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. Bells and whistles. We're going to, oh my God. I'm, I'm just pumped that we made it 100 shows. The fuck? Yeah, I didn't I'm, think I'm glad we'd make you did 10. I'm, I'm glad you didn't <laughs> quit. Who would quit this? I love it. I love being on this side of the microphone. I love what being a part of this podcast has brought to, I don't know, it's just brought to my life. Brought to, yeah, it brought a night away from your soon-to-be wife. <laughs> That's a win in my book. It gives me something during the uh, the winter months that I can use as a placeholder to keep my softball nights open. It, it guarantees me a night out of the house, but also it's opened up doors for me. It's 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 built relationships between really knowledgeable people about the game of football. Hell, it got me on the sidelines at NFL training camp. Yeah, you listen to our show enough, you know that Drew shouldn't be on any sidelines <laughs> at hey, all. Listen, I'm a professional when I want to be. Ask my <laughs> boss. Ask my boss. He will tell you I'm a professional when I need to be. Guys, thank you so much for showing up through all these weeks. Next week, this is a celebration of you guys for getting us to this point. Thank you so much for showing up. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report.